What's up, this Shaq Barrett, outside linebacker of the Tampa Bay Bucks, and you're listening to the Fresh Fantasy Podcast. What is going on, everybody? I hope you're having a great day today. This is Alex from the Fresh Fantasy Podcast. This is the 22nd episode of Season 3. Today, we're going to be talking about a wide receiver deep dive once again. Today, we got 10 more names, including guys like T. Higgins, Amon Ross St. Brown, Alan Lazard, and more, breaking down all the thoughts we got on each player. Joining me today to break this all down is one of the best in the business. This man is the creator and swami of the Konami Code QB with a doctorate in fake football meteorology. Known for his handsome face and his mastery of analytical breakdowns with over 68,000 followers on Twitter, he is Sharp Football Analysis, Rich Rebar. Welcome to the show. Alex, what's going on, brother? You know, uh, when you reached out, I was happy. You know, I always love when people, uh, you know, ask me to come on shows they haven't connected with. I, I don't really get asked a lot. I don't know if it's like an intimidation thing, but I always tell people, like, just reach out and ask, uh, you know, if I can make something happen, especially over the summer when we're not in yeah. season. Like, I always love to, you know, kind of if I can use my platform to help anyone else coming yeah. up, I always, always uh, love to extend that olive branch and, you know, talk football. And I think that's the beautiful thing about the the fantasy football community. Like, I've had, like, it'll be two years for me since I started next month. And literally, like, I'm consistently blown away at, like, the people that you'd think that, like, you know, like, this person would never come on my podcast, you know, because they work full time at a big time company. But People are so generous and willing to like help out other people with their time. And usually consistently the thing is every time, and I don't know if it's the same for you is like, I've asked people and they're like, Oh, well, like I had people that did that for me. Like, you know what I mean? I'm just right. passing it down because I had so many people that helped me and were gracious to me. And, you know, I just try to kind of pass that down and I'm always been consistently blown away with how nice and kind people are with their time. And, you know, is that the same for you? Just trying to give back to the people that, you know, like probably helped you on your, on your way up as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we all have common ground. I mean, you know, you talk about going to the expo. I mean, we're all we all have we all love this for a reason. We're doing this. You know, we're all passionate about, you know, the same thing. So it's like, you know, it's easy to to have like an end. And then you start finding out you have other connections to people. Oh, yeah. You not only like fantasy football, like you might like tabletop gaming or you like the show I watch or like and then the conversation just spills and you're like yeah, yeah we're, we're probably like close we're really compatible we're, we're probably real life friends so it's like there's a lot of that a lot of bleed over in the industry I've met very few people over like the decade of doing this that I've been like oh yeah I don't really jive with that person yeah same, same here like pe- people are usually so kind and we're so people are just so like-minded because we like a lot of the same things a lot of people like fantasy football then you get the, the Dexter fans that are usually fantasy football people <laughs> and stuff like that. And every time there's a new season of Ozark or some other big show and people are talking about the season finale, it's always great. But today we are here to talk about wide receivers. We're not here to talk about Ozark or Obi-Wan, also a great show. I just finished that, by the way. But wide receivers, the first guy I want to start with, we're kind of going down the list in ADP as we go. The first guy I want to start with, though, is Mike Evans. Like, I think Mike Evans not being talked about enough, and I think he's an interesting case because of everything going on because, you know, for one, he lost two Hall of Fame players, you know, this offseason. I think Gronk could definitely come back, but as of right now, you know, no Antonio Brown, no Gronk, who both averaged a ridiculous number of targets every single game, and Mike Evans has been the wide receiver 9 and 11 with Gronk, A.B., 
and Chris Godwin playing the last two years, and now he's missing two of those guys. We likely don't see and like Chris Godwin, you know, for the first three or four weeks of the season, likely. And then on top of that, you know, Tom Brady was like less than ten passes away from setting the all-time pass attempts record. Like this team is going to throw the ball early and often. And I think that Mike Evans could command an even bigger target share than he ever has before. So do you think that he has, you know, wide receiver one overall once again in his range of outcomes? Or do you think I'm getting a little bit, you know, too excited about some of the missing pieces? Yeah, I mean, I think he's it's possible. It's, you know, you look at Mike Evans. I think the Bucks are interesting from a top-down perspective too. But, you know, before we get to the Bucks, I mean, Evans himself in the situation he's in, I mean, he's always been a guy that like the community is like, You've always had a bunch of people to kind of one foot out on him because the way he, yeah. you know, he's, he's treated, a lot of people think he has a lot of volatility. I actually wrote an article last year that showed like he actually wasn't one of the more volatile wide receivers, really? uh, you know, but, uh, you know, a thousand yards every year of his career. I mean, he's the only guy to come this far in his career, eight straight years to do that. And you look at his first two years, the Bucks with, with Brady on the Bucks. I mean, he's been more of like a touchdown driven guy. I mean, you know, he's had the two lowest uh, marks of career, like targets per game. Uh, and he's been more touchdown dependent, but you talked about, you know, you lose Antonio Brown, you lose Gronk. We're probably going to lose Chris Godwin for a substantial part of the season. I think that's part of what's played into so far of him just not completely elevating is it just hasn't become reality yet for a lot of people that Chris Godwin's going to miss a lot of time. Yeah. And as it becomes, we get to training camp and, you know, we're still four or five weeks away until veteran training camp, but Chris Godwin's probably not going to be there. They're a team that's going to play it cautious with him too. Then you'll see Evans like start to get more steam. I think these last two months and get kind of pushed up uh, maybe even over guys like people are kind of like, you know, hemming and hawing about like Tyreek Hill with Tua and the Dolphins. Like you could see him potentially jump some of those guys. Uh, and then when you look at the performance that Mike Evans had, like at the end of last season, when those guys were all hurt, remember the Bucks like limped to the finish line last year. Like yeah. they, were, they had a game last year where like they almost lost to the Jets because Evans was hurt. And that was a game Antonio Brown went nuts. And uh, they almost, they, they had to come like a furious comeback to beat the Jets. Cyril Grayson was like the hero of that game. Yeah. But then we saw them have to lean on Evans and Evans like absolutely obliterated. Now they didn't have Darius Slay shadow him, but, two of the top cornerbacks in the NFL the final two weeks of the season just because the Bucs had to throw the football at him. And then you get to see, like, the talent Mike Evans has, right? When you when you start to get him with 10 targets, 16 targets, and it doesn't matter if Darius Slay's on him or Jalen Ramsey's on him. You get the 9 for 117 and ones or the 8 for 119 and ones. You're like, yeah, with volume, this guy still has the, the potential to be one of the best receivers in the NFL. And then you look at, like, when Brady's been on the Bucs so far, and I posted this uh, last week, you know, about the Bucks when when Brady's been there and you look at who hasn't been on the field. So I post this after Gronk, you know, announced his retirement, you know, if he does hold it. When Evans has been off the field, that's when Brady's still been at his worst. And I went on not just like on a game level. Uh, you know, luckily I have access to a lot more data than some other people, you know, thanks to my boss. But uh, you know, looking at like on a drop back level, when Mike Evans hasn't been on the field and it's been 230 dropbacks since Tom Brady's been with the Bucks. Uh, he by far has his worst stats when Evans is off the field. It doesn't matter who the hell else has been on the field, whether it's been AB's been on the field, whether Gronk's been on the field, whether Godwin's been on the field. Lowest completion rate, lowest yards for pass attempt, lowest touchdown rate per throw when Evans has been off the field. So now we remove all those people. We still have the guy that has been like kind of the best player with Tom Brady. Uh, there is a definite high ceiling. I do think that we probably should use some trepidation with how the Bucks are going to operate this year, given how many pieces they've lost. I don't think Brady comes anywhere close to 720 pass attempts this year. There's just no reason for it to probably yeah. happen. The, the division's not very good outside of maybe the Saints. Uh, you know, they're going to control the football. They add another running back. They spend money on Leonard Fournette. 
Uh, I do think that this is an offense that's probably going to run the football a little more than it has the past two years, be a little more kind of cautious uh, on that front. Just give, because I mean, you're, you're plugging in, you know, Russell Gage, who I think is a guy that was undervalued to open and now is getting pushed, you know, for Chris Godwin for a substantial amount of weeks and Antonio Brown paired with that because the rest of the depth chart they haven't added i still think they're they're another sneaky team that could add another veteran too like they could add emmanuel sanders or julio jones to the fold here because they're a win down team they have an opportunity where the, none of these young guys have really kind of elevated we've seen the tyler johnson show we've seen the scotty miller show is jalen darden going to step in and play that slot role to start the season um yeah so i mean i think that you know approaching 700 pass attempts probably not going to happen and when you look at like kind of said like brady splits in totality, losing Gronk, the touchdown asset he is, and just plugging in Cameron Brayton and Kate Otten, like not going to be a one-for-one one here. So, uh, yeah, I think Evans definitely has his range of outcomes. He's the guy who gets the biggest bump. I know I'm going on and on about this, but uh, uh, the Bucks in general are a team I expect to operate at a different capacity than they have the past years too. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I still think, though, because, you know, it's a still a Tom Brady-led offense, they're still going to probably be top 10 in the NFL in pass okay. attempts for sure this year, no matter what. I mean, it's probably not going to be a borderline record-setting passing offense that we've seen. And, you know, maybe Brady doesn't throw for 40 touchdowns for a third consecutive season. But I don't think that he's going to fall off a cliff. Obviously, I don't think anyone thinks that. But, you know, I hope Mike Evans gets a crazy amount of targets. But I also, because, you know, I grew up a Patriots fan, I want to see Tom Brady win number eight. You know, I know no one else probably does at this point, but, you know, I'd love to see a 45. I mean, he'll be the first QB in NFL history to start a game at 45 this year. And, you know, props to that. Props to Tom Brady. But also props to T. Higgins, you know, for having such a strong finish in the fantasy football world last season. T. Higgins was literally the wide receiver eight in fantasy football from weeks five to the end of fantasy season. I say end of fantasy season because week 18 he did not play because of the Bengals, you know, position, you know, in the playoffs, so he didn't play. But literally, Higgins played two games last year, hurt his shoulder, missed two games, came back, and was the wide receiver eight in fantasy football from the day he came back from his injury until literally the end of the season. And I know that partially people want to talk about the fact that, you know, he had three monster games of 114-plus yards and a touchdown, including that Baltimore game where he had 194 yards and two touchdowns. But I think the other part of that is like he's still improving going into year three. He's going to probably be even better than he was last year as a player. Joe Burrow is also going to improve going into his third year. And also, I think the Bengals have nothing but upside in terms of like how many plays they're going to run this year because they were one of the slowest paced teams in the league last year. I mean, they were bottom three in the NFL in pace, you know, for in neutral game scripts, which is crazy to me because you have Joe Burrow and all these crazy weapons, but they beefed up their offensive line. All these guys are going to continue to get better. So I think that this team could play with a little bit more pace and really do some big things. How are you feeling about T. Higgins? Yeah, I'm curious to see what happens, you know, over the remainder of the summer because, you know, he had labrum surgery. That's the other thing, too, is he played with basically a shoulder injury the rest of the year, too, when he came back yeah. because he's probably not going to play at all in the preseason or, or do much at training camp. So I'm curious if he actually actually starts to fall a little bit when this starts to become more known. Remember, it's like out of sight, out of mind right now. But uh, I know you've, you've probably seen some of the guys like Matthew Betts and Evan Forrest that, you know, highlight some of the stuff for a living. Uh, have kind of showcased that like he, his surgery is basically going to push him right up against the start of the season. Uh, so yeah. maybe we end up getting a little bit of a discount as the summer progresses on T Higgins. I mean, I'm in agreement with you on one, the player, you've got a player that wrote, did nothing but improve across the board in year two upward trajectory uh, was a, a high draft pick, you know, all the things we look for. And then when he returned from week five on and the games that he played with Jamar chase, 
Um, you know, 125 targets for T. Higgins to 134 for Jamar Chase. He was a little more cattywampus in terms of like spike weeks and volatility, but you'll have that as like a wide receiver, two wide receiver. Uh, and like you said, this offense has a whole nother gear that I don't think that is being it's being accounted for. I mean, listen, none of these Bengals guys are Chiefs, but uh, at all. But I mean, there's definitely upside here. And I don't know, you know, you talk about Burrow coming back from the ACL. I think they were a little cautious to start the year, you know, through 13 weeks. They were just 19th in neutral pass rate. Uh, that spiked the rest of the season. On first down, you know, play calls in neutral script. I mean, they were only they were three percent below pass rate expectation. So like, there's room to grow there. Uh, you know, then you look at like first down pass attempts, like we talked about. I mean, they, he was fifth. Joe Burrow was electric, and they still didn't throw. He was fifth in the NFL in completion rate on first downs, second in passing touchdowns on first downs, fourth in yards for pass attempt uh, when they were aggressive early. So they have incentive to kind of like throw the ball early too. You talk about the pace of play. They were 29th. Schedule's going to flip. They go from having one of the easiest schedules in the NFL to one of the hardest this year. You add the offensive line. There's definitely a lot of upside here. And then you talk about uh, the offensive line as well. Uh, when the Bengals didn't take a sack on a drive, they were second in the NFL in points per drive, and they were second in the NFL in touchdown rate per drive. Uh, you know, so they they have a whole nother gear. Like they can still kind of harness here, just like with some more aggressiveness, they're forced into these situations. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I have no real pushback on T Higgins. I mean, he's right after like that gap too. I mean, right when you clear that top tier receivers, I mean, it's a free for all. Like you, you yeah. can, you can make an argument, I think for like a dozen guys. Uh, to do you, kind of be do you like avoid, do you avoid drafting T Higgins though? When you have other guys like say like a Michael Pittman or someone like Keenan Allen in the same range that like are going to probably be the wide receiver one in their team. Like, do, do you get stopped from drafting someone like T Higgins because he does get capped by playing with Jamar Chase, whereas you could get another guy with a potential higher overall ceiling because they're the clear wide receiver one on their team? I think it just depends on, you know, structural build and scoring yep. formats. I mean, anything right. non-PPR too, like if it's non-full PPR, I mean, T Higgins gets such a bonus because, I mean, he has one of those guys that has that double-digit touchdown potential on a high-scoring offense, so it just elevates him. Maybe in full PPR you get a little more boost through some other guys that you just want to take the volume a little bit more. But like I said, you can make a, an argument, I think, for so many guys right after that top-tier receivers. Uh, it's There's so much young talent in the game, and it's it's easy to make a case for a lot of guys. Definitely. What about someone like, you know, it's a little bit also speaking on that, you know, volatility part of things and someone like DK Metcalf, because DK Metcalf's interesting because he can be so misleading, you know, with stats because DK Metcalf is a monster in terms of the fact that last year he was eighth in the NFL in target share. He had a 27.3% target share, a ridiculous 35.2% red zone target share. He was 12th in target rate, but you know, like there hasn't been a Seahawks wide receiver to hit 140 targets since 2004. Like I, I was literally like three years old the last time that there was a wide receiver with Thanks 140 targets. Sorry, I mean, I mean, like you were like my, you, I mean, like it's just crazy. It's 2004 was the last time that there was a wide receiver with 140 targets, and I know that's probably like a okay, really, is that logical, Alex? Because that doesn't account for talent. You know what I mean? Just like an arbitrary number, like 140 targets, but like it's you know partly what we see with, you know, Pete Carroll in this offense and, you know, Metcalf's had 129 targets in back-to-back -back years, but here's the thing I talked about with it being misleading. You see the, when you look at the stats, eighth in target share, 12th in target rate, those are so great, but the targets are so low because like this team runs at one of the slowest paces in the league. And they also last year, I think they ran the least offensive plays. And like, do you really think they're going to run any more offensive plays with Geno Smith or, 
you know, Drew Lockett quarterback at this point. Like, I think things get really, really ugly for DK Metcalf. And I think he already is a little bit, you know, volatile from week to week. And I feel like we could see even more, like, you know, just big spike weeks or absolute duds potentially from Drew Lock and Geno Smith. Are you feeling that same wavelength or do you see something a little bit different? Yeah, I mean, I was hesitant on him to open. We're starting to see the the calibration of gamers too. I mean, he's he's really fallen to that wide receiver two, three kind of mm-hmm. cusp. I still think the gap between him and Lockett is probably more egregious than anything related Agreed. to to DK Metcalf. But I mean, you look at Metcalf the player, I mean, we know that he's good. I mean, he's in one, he's a touchdown scorer. Like that's one thing that hasn't changed. I mean, since he entered the NFL, only four players have more touchdown receptions than wow. him. Uh, you know, and he, he scored a touchdown in 45% of his games played. I mean, that's 10th among all wide receivers in the top 45 in terms of ADP. The problem is, is like you said, kind of like where does the, the floor lie with him, especially when we account for Russell Wilson. You know, you look at last year compared to kind of his breakout, you know, his receptions per game dropped from 5.2 to 4.4. His yards per game uh, went from 81.4 to 56.9. Uh, that 2020 like hot start where it looked like he had a th- he could threaten to be the wide receiver one of fantasy football. Uh, he had 90 more yards in seven of those first eight games this year. Uh, he's only hit 90 yards in just four of his past 25 games since, oh. uh, which is really rough. Um, then you talk about, you know, you add, you know, the, the loss of Russell Wilson. When Geno Smith did play last year, he we saw he was DK Metcalf still. He was a wide receiver one in three of those four games. But what was on the strength of him finding the end zone? He scored and, you know, he scored four touchdowns in those games. With Geno Smith, 39% of his PPR fantasy points came from touchdowns. To give some kind of context to that, Alan Lazard let all wide receivers last year in the top 48 in terms of touchdown dependency at 33.7%. So, I mean, we know he still can score touchdowns. Uh, the problem is, like I said, you know, what do we get for a floor? So even with Russell Wilson, in the DK Metcalf has 27 career games where he hasn't scored a touchdown. He's wow. had just one week finishing higher than wide receiver 26 in those games. Uh, wow. That's with Russell Wilson. So, I mean, he, he's been a wide receiver two or better in 3.7% of his games without a touchdown. That ranks 42nd among the top 45 receivers in ADP. And then you take the team context and, and, instead of we look at this. So you look at last year, the Seahawks, they scored on just 35.9% of their drives last year. That was 21st in the NFL. But they were still 11th in the NFL in touchdowns, in offensive touchdowns. So yeah. they, they were going to be due regression anyways. They had an all-or-nothing approach. They were – Second to only the Bengals in drives that went lasted only one through three plays where they scored a touchdown. They were second in the NFL in touchdowns scored outside the red zone, but they were 23rd in the NFL in drives that went three and out. They were 23rd in the NFL in third down conversion rate. This is with Russell Wilson. Uh, this is how you get to when you live that boomer bust lifestyle that you have the fewest plays run versus your opponent uh, in my database, which goes back to 2008. They're number one, like the, 28, the 2010 Titans they passed up. Uh, so, I mean, it, it, there's a lot of regression here from a team level. We don't know where the floor lies with the loss of Russell Wilson, and it was a floor that was already lower than a lot of his ADP peers anyway. So it does kind of paint that kind of uh, you know negative thread on him. But we also have seen, like, where where does the buck stop, right? Because we've already yeah. seen gamers kind of count for this. Like, he's now, like I said, going on that wide receiver three fringe tier. What is that touchdown upside worth to you 
uh, when you could play him now as potentially if you're wide receiver aggressive as your wide receiver four, right? Like then, yeah. you you know, you start, you're starting to mitigate some of that risk. So I'm really curious to see if like he continues to plummet. I still think Lockett's ADP is a lot more egregious, just the gap between the two. And if I want to take a shot on a Seattle wide receiver, I'm going to do it at Lockett at wide receiver 45 and, you know, Metcalf at wide receiver 23, 24. But I am very curious to see like where we hit the, that, that cutoff with DK Metcalf. That's crazy, the stat, though, on, like, how little, you know, he does in games where he doesn't score a touchdown. And that, you know, definitely is more dangerous when you said they were already due for negative regression. And then you take out someone as good as Russell Wilson. Like, that is going to be interesting to see. But that's that's why we bring great guests like you on, Rich, to give us stat nuggets like that. We appreciate it. But another guy that I am super, super excited about this year, and I think that, you know, maybe call this a hot take, but there could be a changing of the guard this year. That's with Mike Williams. I mean, Mike Williams last year, you know, put up career highs and targets, receptions, receiving yards. You know, he had a 20.8% target share, a career low ADOT, which is a big role change when his previous low, you know, average depth of target was 14.8 yards. You know, he's also had 40 ed zone targets since 2019. And Mike Williams is a big hulking guy. He's only converted eight of those 40 end zone targets. I think there's some positive regression incoming on that, but I also like the fact that this is a condensed offense. There's not really a big fourth option. I know there's some Josh Palmer stands out there, but for the most part, you know, this offense is going to run through Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen, and Mike Williams. But as a lot of people have noted on Twitter and other places that, you know, Keenan Allen has started to regress a little bit. Like he's still a great player. Keenan Allen is still fantastic, but you know, some of the underlying metrics are saying this guy might not be, you know, the same player that he once was. Do you think there's a chance that, you know, we see a changing of the guard with Mike Williams? He's 27 years old right now, about to be 28. Or do you think that Keenan Allen is still king of this offense? Like, I'm, I'm really excited about Mike Williams here. So I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, he's got a little bit of like a, that, that T. Higgins arbitrage. Like, you know, what we talked about earlier with T. Higgins being kind of like probably second in targets, you know, on the team. I still think Keenan Allen will out-target him for sure just because Great. of where Keenan Allen wins, right? Like, you know, yep. if you look at the Chargers too from a top-down perspective, I mean, on early downs especially, like they're a team that really doesn't push the football a lot. Like, this is another team we want to be more aggressive inherently because we see the talent like we saw with the Bengals but if you look at like in terms of like ADOT and success rate on like first and second down like they're kind of a team that they're high in success rate but they're not like high in like first down conversion rate because they throw so many passes to Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler like that are they're positive plays in terms of creating like second and like lower down in distances but also like we want them to push the push the rock a little bit more we take some chances like be willing to and that's kind of uh weird because we inherently consider brandon Stanley like literally one of the most aggressive head coaches in the nfl uh so if we get some kind of rollover there that can help a guy like mike williams a lot um but i do still think that we'll see like from a target perspective keenan allen still win uh out in that that right but mike williams is another one of these guys very interesting in terms of like upside volatility even last year with his breakout he's another one of those guys uh 52 career games without a touchdown he's averaged six and a half ppr points per game 5.2 half point ppr points per game that ranks 42nd in both categories amongst the top 45 wide receivers uh 37th and wide receiver two or better rate even in his breakout last year he had nine games without a touchdown he had just one week where he finished higher than wide receiver 39 in those games. So he's still another one of those guys, like we're leaning on the big plays and the upside. Uh, you know, maybe that midseason knee injury was a little bit more than we let on. Uh, the Chargers are a team though, that like, this is one of the best offense in the NFL. Uh, I, I mean, Mike Williams is definitely a guy I see the pro case for. 
I definitely think that his ADP is crested to where like I'm willing to draft him right now. I mean, he's pushing when it's best ball right now season. So maybe we see some drop in general public leagues when, cause he's a typical, like in a best ball type of guy. Uh, So maybe we see some drop, but I do think his ADP right now is definitely crested to the point where like, I'm at least, at least like, like, well, let's, let's, this is getting a little, a little high for me. But uh, like I said, though, you can make, there's a a wide gap here though, when you get to that area, because I do think he's a very T Higgins esque type type player. And if you're not willing to pay the tax on T Higgins, this is like the next step in arbitrage. Right. So I'm not going to push back on Big Mike. This is a guy I defended for years, and we finally got the year last year. And I feel like now that like he's so expensive, like I'm, I'm forced to be out on him. It's like, oh man, they murdered my baby. But like, yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll see where he ends up getting when we get like out of best ball season. But I will say I'm a little hesitant at like where his cost has gotten the past couple weeks. Yeah, definitely. It's 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 interesting, but I don't know. I feel like he could be like a, a T Higgins light, like you said. Yeah. You know, that, that number two option. But I also don't think, like, I actually think it's very possible that there could be a changing of the guard. In terms of fantasy points, targets, it's going to be Keenan Allen. He's still that guy. But I wouldn't be surprised if Mike Williams outscored Keenan Allen. I'm not saying I think that's going to happen. I'm not going to rank Mike Williams above Keenan Allen. I'm not that crazy, at least. I mean, at least at, in June. But, you know, I wouldn't put that out of the range of possibilities. But let's talk about another wide receiver, too, and a high-powered offense. And... This player is, you know, going to a new team with a former college quarterback of his, and that's Marquise Brown. Marquise Brown's really interesting because, like, I think that, you know, generally people agree on, you know, Twitter, on Twitter, which is crazy enough that people agree on this, but targets are earned. Like, you know, guy, like good players command targets pretty usually. I think that's that's usually how the saying goes, and I think that's pretty accurate for me at least. Maybe you disagree, but Marquise Brown commands a lot of targets. I mean, he had a 26.7% target share last year, a really high 27.9% target rate. He was ninth in the NFL in targets with 145, but also it wasn't like he was just getting, you know, like Deontay Johnson targets. And I love Deontay Johnson, don't get me wrong. But like he was getting, he was eighth in deep targets and 16th in red zone targets. Like He's getting all those valuable targets on top of being one of the most targeted players in the league. And then you bring that in where he has that Kyler Murray connection. But then the other side of all of this is, okay, you know, DeAndre Hopkins will be back in six games. This is a new offense and a new player and a new offense. Does Kyler Murray break down in the second half of the season? They have Zach Ertz. They drafted Trey McBride. You know, the the walking corpse of A.J. AJ Green is back this year. So, you know, I'm Marquise Brown, you know, you could go a lot of different ways with how you look at this. But where do you stand on Marquise Brown? Yeah, he's very interesting. He's another guy that's really climbed in terms of ADP. Like as we've he's really guys. high right now. Yeah, uh, you know, once the Hopkins kind of uh, you know suspension, it just was like wheels off. Like let's go because especially when you look at like last year, I mean, he was on fire to start the year. You know, ten games into the season, he was a wide receiver one for fantasy. He was averaging seventeen point four PPR points per game. Lamar gets hurt, he limps to the finish line. Uh, you know, with with Lamar under center, he caught 67% of his passes, 12.7 yards per catch, eight and a half yards per target, uh, over two yards per outrun, and then just cratered. With the other guys, you know, Tyler Huntley and and, and Johnson, uh, you know, 52% catch rate, 6.8 yards per catch, 3.6 yards per target, uh, under a yard per route run with those guys. It just fell off the map. He's a great fit for this system, though, which I'm real excited outside of the old college shower narrative, you know, playing with Kyler at Oklahoma, um, because he's going to play that same role that Christian Kirk played in the offense. He's going to play that vertical slot role because when in Cliff's offense, like what he does, he wants his outside receivers to block. 
So Marquise Brown's going to play a lot in that slot to get those vertical targets, have AJ Green as a in a blocker in the run game. Anton Wesley's still going to be out there way more than anyone wants to be at the start of the season uh, because Rondell Moore and Marquise Brown are going to be those guys that play in the slot. It's the way that this offense operates, operates structurally. This is also a team that's going to run probably a little more 12 personnel than people think. They always kind of have uh you know given because they run a high rate of of 10 personnel too they're kind of like that team they have a lot of they'll, they'll play a lot of four wide receivers but then they'll also use a lot of two tight end sets too and Reed Calvert running the football and you look at Christian Kirk and the role he played in his offense since Kyler Murray entered the league he's first in the NFL in completion rate on throws 30 plus air yards uh he's second in EPA per drop back on those throws only to Justin Herbert who has a little bit of a smaller sample but has been more efficient uh Christian Kirk's accounted for 30 of his targets uh Kyler Murray's the next closest Arizona Cardinals DeAndre Hopkins at 12 massive gap almost like almost one third uh and then if you look at Hollywood Brown where he's playing the NFL the only player that has more of those types of targets since he's there in the NFL is Tyree Kill 45 to 43 but Marquise Brown has caught just nine of those targets 29%, uh, and he has the most targets that were credited inaccurate due to due to quarterback play over that stretch uh, over um, since he entered the NFL through True Media. So he's playing now with that quarterback that's been accurate on those throws. He's more talented than Christian Kirk. There's chance for him to be like a real scheme fit. The question with Marquise Brown that resides with his ADP right now is how much is this is short-lived, right? Like we know that he has the upside. We saw it last year playing with Lamar Jackson. We know that he's got a runway to lead this team in targets at least the front half of the season without DeAndre Hopkins from a talent perspective. But when DeAndre Hopkins comes back now, what happens? You know, is he a guy that is a guy that was just like down the stretch of the season now is impacted? And I think as ADP, that's something they kind of question versus these best ball formats. Uh, so that is kind of like uh, where we are hanging in the air on Marquise Brown. Like, I love the player. I love the scheme fit. But is he a guy that like starts hot and then is impacted like throughout the stretch, you know, the core stretch of the season when we're in money time? Um, that's kind of where I lie. Yeah, I feel the same exact way. And I think the other part of it, again, with with someone like this, at least, is like, I just don't think there's a chance that like he's like the wide receiver one in this team, you know, for the last 10 weeks of the season, like it's going to be DeAndre Hopkins. And I feel like a lot of times in drafts, if I'm going for a guy that's going to win me my league, I'm going to draft someone else in that same range that probably is that wide receiver one that has a lot more upside and that I can swing for the fences a little bit more. And, you know, like Marquise Brown, you know, you can swing for the fences in a couple weeks. <laughs> you know, he's going to have some big games, but I think consistently week in and week out and what his like end of season finishes is not going to be someone that I end up drafting a lot of this year. But another guy that this is okay, this next guy that we're talking about here, and this isn't a great lead in, but is someone that I'm on that cusp of like, I want to draft him, but he doesn't come from a good offense. Wow. He's a really talented player, but, you know, like there's no one else to throw to, but. Do really we get a lot of good players from bad offense? It's so, you know, you go so many different ways. And it's Darnell Mooney. I'm sorry for beating around the bush. But, you know, like the Bears lost their third, fourth, and fifth leading target getters last year when they already didn't have a lot of guys that were getting a lot of targets. And, you know, Darnell Mooney's top competition is Valus Jones, a six-year college player, Byron Pringle, you know, Cole Komet, who I like. And, you know, Darnell Mooney's already finished in the top 24. He's already shown us that he can, you know, have a high finish. You know, he's heading into his third year. He's playing with the QB who should only improve. So there's a lot of really good things that you're showing with someone like Marquise Brown. But also on the same side of that is like we don't get a ton of really high fantasy finishes from guys that are in really terrible offenses. 
And I think this offense projects to be terrible. I know we're hearing, you know, reports about offensive coordinator Luke Getze and that he might be a rising star in NFL circles. But this Bears offense, the talent on the offensive line and the talent in this receiving core and where the defense is right now, I, I just don't really like what I'm seeing for, for Darnell Mooney from that perspective. But I like the player. So are you feeling the same way on me here or like am I missing something? No, I think you you hit it all, covered all the points there. I mean, he's definitely a guy I think you can say is undervalued, but where does kind of the ceiling lie? Exactly. Uh, of ADP? Exactly. I mean, literally the lone bright spot on that team last year. Uh, offense. Well, I will say the end of the season for Dave Montgomery is positive as well. Uh, but, you know, the runway to targets is there. I mean, when Allen, in the five games Allen Robinson didn't play last year, Mooney had 26% of the team targets. I think that's probably where he'll – lie you're looking for improvement from justin fields if you look at mooney splits last year i mean with justin fields they were by far the worst uh lowest completion rate like you know you know his yards per target were at least positive because he got more downfield targets from justin fields than he did the other two guys that's the other thing too is you look at his route tree last year i mean 40 percent of his routes are slants and curls that's not the way darnell mooney's gonna win uh so hopefully luke Getzey can improve that He's just a guy, too, though, when you look at it, I mean, he's kind of like this guy like that's elevated to be a wide receiver one when we know he's kind of not, though. Agree. Uh, you know, he, he was dead last in the NFL and contested catch rate among quali- qualifying receivers last year. If you look at the work Matt Harmon uh, does at Reception Perception, which is excellent, uh, you know, he, he's sub 50th percentile in, in, in win rate just about and everything in terms of man, zone, and press. So we know talent-wise – He's really there because we believe in the value, right? Like we think he's undervalued because he could be maybe Brandon Cooks, right? Like Brandon, like an extension of what Brandon Cooks had. But like you said, the upside, you know, look at the last 30 years, just 6.1% of all wide receiver one seasons have come on a team with four or fewer wins, 18% on teams with six or fewer. We have to believe the Bears are a lot better than they're projected. Over the past 10 years, it's even worse. It's actually skewed even worse where 5.8% of wide receiver one seasons are teams with four or fewer wins, 15.8% six or fewer. Uh, we need the Bears just to be a lot better team. And I think that's the rub. I think he's definitely yeah. a guy I can find undervalued. I think he, he's fine at ADP. But in area of that draft, I mean, you might want to swing on a little more upside depending on how you've gone. So Darnell Mooney, I think, is a great pick if you're drafting zero RB wide receiver heavy because you're just adding another wide receiver floor to your stable of good wide receivers. But if you've been more aggressive on running backs and Darnell Mooney's going to end up being your wide receiver too, or, or the pick the player at this ADP is going to end up being your wide receiver too, or a player you're counting on for more upside because you've trapped at running backs. Like I think a guy like you might look at a guy like Rashad Bateman in the same area and say, well, Rashad yeah. Bateman, maybe his floor is not as good, but I need more upside at the position. Uh, and you might go that route as well. So Mooney's a guy, I think, that for structural-based drafting, it just depends on how you've gone uh, to kind of like how he fits your team. But if I'm a team that's gone running back heavier, I want to aim for a guy that I think maybe has more uh, upside and ceiling potential uh, that we talked about. So that's kind of where I lie. I think that just kind of is what he is. And I think that's why I'm not going to end up with a lot of shares. I mean, I, again, I love the player. Like, I like I like the talent, even if the reception receptors don't, like, show it as much. But just with the offense, the, the quality of targets that he's probably going to get in terms of maybe not getting, you know, as many red zone targets and end zone targets, I think that I'm just going to be staying away from Mooney a little bit more when there's other guys in this range that I think I could get or a little bit later after that I think have even higher upside and are more talented players and could be the legitimate number one options like in their offense, you know, target share wise. And one of those guys was like my favorite sleeper from last year in Elijah Moore. Like Elijah Moore was amazing. You know, as a rookie, he had an 18.6% target share, a 20% target share in the red zone, which was great. He was ninth in route run win rate. Sorry, route run win rate. 
could not say that for my life. But also, you know, going back to reception perception, charting how well he was getting open, he was top 30% all time in beating man, zone, and press. Oh, he was a rookie. He did the all as a rookie. Like, and he's only going to get better regardless of Zach Wilson. But, like, beyond that, and I know that, like, you know, sample sizes are a little bit, you know, touchy, but – you know, from week six until he got hurt in week 14, like till he stopped playing games for the rest of the season, there was only four wide receivers better than him. And they were the top four wide receivers for last year. Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Devontae Adams, and Cooper Cup. Like those are the only four wide receivers better than Elijah Moore from week six on. And then you can play the, okay, well, it was, you know, the first five weeks that he got to be a rookie. And then after that, he was literally a top five wide receiver in fantasy until he got hurt. I know that came with some boom and bust games that wasn't like consistent every single week. And it, all those games didn't come with Zach Wilson, but Elijah Moore's talent is clearly there. The target shares that he was already commanding as a rookie were clearly there. And he was clearly getting open at a super high rate. Rich, this is one of the ones where I'm like, I just want you to be like, Alex, you are right. I love Elijah Moore. I hope you don't disagree, but, you know, maybe I'm missing something. No, no. I mean, it, it's all there from college. You know, he was a guy that definitely profiled as a first-round pick, you know, falls to the top of the second. You know, we've seen the talent in college, especially against, you know, Big Ten. He averaged, he averaged more receiving yards per game than any player in his final season in Power 5, That's any prospect that's come out since 2000. Yeah. So, I mean, we know the upside is there. We definitely need – we have some weird things with the Jets overall. I mean, he only ran 101 pass routes with Corey Davis in the lineup last year and was out-targeted uh, by Corey Davis on those routes. Uh, we also do have Zach Wilson. We also add Garrett Wilson to the fold, another top-10 rookie pick. Uh, he was so bad with Zach Wilson. Like, I mean, he, the, he 19 of 42 targets complete from Zach Wilson, 45%. He caught 80, 68.6% uh, from all the other New York passers. So we do need Zach Wilson to do something – and then we need the volume to be stable with the Jets fully healthy. Uh, but the talent is easily there. The price is amazing. These year two wide receivers are, are where really where I've honed in on fantasy drafts this year. I really want to get two to three or more of these guys in every fantasy draft I do. These guys that go in the wide receiver three plus range. We've got Elijah Moore, Amon Ra, uh, you know, Kadarius, Tony, like all these guys in this wide receiver three plus range that I just want to get two or three of these guys on each team, Devonte Smith. Uh, all these guys are going in that range, wide receiver 30 plus, because we know year two wide receivers have been like the ultimate investment, like the guys that just smash yeah. ADP. So like, I all, I don't want to leave a fantasy draft where I'm not getting two to three of these players and just letting it fall to where I run into the upside of the, the breakout of one or two of these guys. I think that's really where you want to hone in right now where fantasy drafts are, because we know year two wide receivers again reiterate like those are the number one breakout candidates not your three wide receivers and then the yeah. price for these guys is amazing where you can get not one of these guys but multiple of these players on rosters uh i absolutely want to hammer like that subset of wide receiver and not only is that subset great it's also a subset that can fit so many different draft molds like it's not yeah. darnell mooney where he only fits more specific like your elijah moore and the next guy that we're going to talk about in amon ross st brown are guys that can fit almost any type of draft mold that you're doing whether you're looking for home run players you're looking guys for guys that are probably going to be pretty consistent i think they can fit you know a lot of different molds of drafting and amon ross st brown i will say this to the listeners is my favorite wide receiver that we are going to be talking about today. I'm so beyond excited about him. And I wasn't at the beginning. I was like, okay, like 
he got hot at the end of the season, wherever. But it's this is very nuanced, and it's a lot more interesting than you think the more that you look into it. So for Amon Ross St. Brown, the biggest thing is also the company that he was in. You know, among every rookie over the last decade that had an 80-plus PFF grade, you know, here's those guys. Antonio Brown, Doug Baldwin, Keenan Allen, Tyreek Hill, Terry McLaurin, Chris Godwin, and Amon Ross St. Brown. Elite company. But he was also... For half a football season, weeks 10 through 18, he was the wide receiver five in fantasy football. Once again, behind Justin Jefferson, Cooper Cup, Devontae Adams, and Debo Samuel. The only guys above him for half a season. Half a season. But here's the interesting thing. If you want to play the sample size game and it's not good enough for you, why did he succeed in the second half of the season? Was it the fact that he was a rookie starting to get more comfortable? Not exactly it. Amon Ross St. Brown has said himself, the reason I was having a lot more success was Ben Johnson. When he took over as the play caller for the Lions, we started running a lot more layup routes and shorter routes to me rather than me going deep and all over the field. So once Ben Ben Johnson's offense, they started changing Amon Ross St. Brown's role, that's where he really started to thrive. And I think with Jamison Williams probably not going to be back for the first few weeks of the season, I'm not really sold on TJ Hawkinson. Everyone knows I love DeAndre Swift, but Amon Ross St. Brown is going to be playing the same role that he was playing at the end of the season. And like, I'm not saying he's going to be the wide receiver five in fantasy football. It's not what I'm saying here. But I think the fact that he commanded such a high target share at 21.4% as a rookie, 23.7% in the red zone, he was electric yard in yards after the catch at 11th in the NFL and yards after the catch. I think everything is pointing to a breakout from him. And we've seen Jared Goff support some very good wide receivers before that are kind of similar, you know, style players and you're a la Robert Woods or Cooper Cup type players. So Rich, even more than Elijah Moore, I'm sorry. I like you, please. This is of all the players we talk about today. Like I need you to be like, this guy <laughs> is going to break out. I mean, I just think it's a clear don't overthink it situation. This and Amon Ross St. Brown's ADP is a testament to like how far fantasy football has come, right? Because he's a guy that won people a lot of money last year. And typically when you when players win players a lot of money, we see them kind of overdrafted the next year, right? But it's gone the opposite with it way with Amon Ross St. Brown because of the sample size and you know, we have so much information and a lot of people are, are putting stuff out there and consuming content and they say, oh yeah, well he did this without Hawkinson, without Swift. But when a player shows you that type of ceiling, like you just have to buy in, especially when you're getting a, basically a wide receiver three right now. I mean, odds are we probably did see the best stretch of games Amon Ross St. Brown will have over his career circumstantially. Yeah, you know what I mean? Course. The dude caught eight or more passes in six straight games. It's only happened nine times in NFL history. Um, but if you also go back to think about the, the offense the Lions ran the front half of the season when he really wasn't doing much, they can't go back that. So, like, Amon Ra, like, was so good that they're not going to put that element back into the bottle. Uh, what has TJ Hawkinson shown through three years? TJ Hawkinson's a player I like in terms of talent, but this is a guy that hasn't created anything on his own so far. Uh, and we had an offense that was throwing 40% of the time to DeAndre Swift and TJ Hawkinson. Like, the Lions aren't going to go back to that. That was unsuccessful. They can't yeah. do that. So, and we, when you pair that with Jameis Williams likely not playing until you know potentially like you know Thanksgiving or, or even longer, uh, they're going to really lean on him. I think. And the, you took at the, the price, like I said, like wide receiver thirty. Like, where's the risk? Where's the risk? You're not asking me to take Amon Ross St. Brown, you know, in the top four rounds of any fantasy draft. You're just not. And then when you look at like the work, like I said, you know, we always bring a guy like Matt Harmon in. He's he's called him Bud Light Cooper Cup. 
uh, you know, they'll, they'll kind of label him, uh, you know, in, in terms of where he wins. Like that stands out to me. And, you know, if he's going to get kind of the support from a guy that I know is doing the homework and is saying, yeah, no, this player is actually really good on his own. Uh, you know, I'm going to invest in that, especially when, like I said, I don't have to put really any risk in at all. There, there, there are really no, there's no anti for Amon Ross St. Brown, really. He's going in the fifth round. Yeah. <laughs> it, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, I, like, I just think that he's such a great value. And like, again, like what's the worst that happens? Like you're drafting him in, you know, a lot later rounds where, you know, if you miss, you know, on your sixth or seventh round pick where, where he's going right now, like, you know, oh, well, boohoo. You know, you can draft Kadarius Tony later, and you'll still probably be doing good. Like, either He's way, going behind like Juju Smith Schuster, like a player that awesome. a player that has to win in the same area, but has to compete with Travis Kelsey, has to compete with Great. Scott potentially Sky Moore, uh, has to compete with you know with you know other other talents. He's going after Chris Godwin, a player that has to win in the slot, but potentially could miss eight to ten plus weeks. Uh, you know, I mean, there's where is the where is the necessarily the risk here with Amon Ross St. Brown? I just yeah. don't I don't really see it. To me, he's just like uh, with Elijah Moore too. Like at that price, uh, you know, I really can't. I'm just in. I'm in on all those. Like I said, those year two guys. You need you should be leaving with two to three of these guys every draft. Yep, hundred percent. Could not agree more. But another guy, the, the next guy we should probably get into, is probably one of the most, if not the most, heavily debated <laughs> player on all of Twitter and all of fantasy football. Yeah. You're laughing. I'm laughing. Everyone already knows it's going to be an interesting argument. But, you know, Gabriel Davis, you know, and people are like, oh, geez, like, what are these guys going to say about Gabriel Davis? But I think it's interesting, you know, Gabriel Davis and the fact that, you know, last year the Bills, you know, wide receivers led the NFL in targets. Bills wide receivers were first in targets. The Bills wide receivers were also second in target share among all teams last year. And Gabriel Davis was second in the Bills in red zone targets. That was great. And then once he had a role change where he started to play a lot more, you know, from weeks 14 on, I know, huge sample size, he played a 70% snap share from then on. And he was top 10 in points per game in those weeks. And that doesn't include the playoffs. But I don't think that's great with the sample size. But I think one of the things that's intriguing is that obviously he showed that, you know, ceiling in the talent in that crazy game against the Chiefs where he was amazing. But he also had a 22% target, you know, per route run rate, which I think is pretty interesting. Like, I you know, he wasn't on the field a lot, but when he was on the field that he actually was commanding targets, that's pretty interesting. But there's also the downside of, like, this guy has had a minuscule target share, you know, since he came into the league and it has not been good. And he was not outbeating, like, you know, Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders. Like, he wasn't, you know, outplaying a lot of these really – okay players but like there's a lot of things to say so where where do you fall on this you know gabriel davis line i find myself in the middle where i can see both sides usually yeah i mean i was pro gabriel davis coming out he was one of my like favorite like under the radar prospects of that draft class which was but literally that wide receiver class was so damn good. And it just, it, it's, it wasn't as good as the 2014 class, but it's been so good so far in the NFL. Uh, so I've been always kind of like pro, like anytime he's gotten a chance, it's like, all right. Yeah. Like Gabe Davis, like, this is what I, this is what I always thought or what my work showed that he was undervalued coming into the NFL. Only Jonathan Taylor and Antonio Gibson 
have scored more touchdowns from that draft class, that 2020 draft class, Uh, you know, including playoff games, which I know a lot of people say, well, yeah, he scored the four. But even if you remove that, I mean, that game in the 14 career games where he's played at least two thirds of the offensive snaps, he's averaged 14.7 PPR points per game. So you, you, you have that floor. He has a chance to be kind of another arbitrage step of we talked about you go like down these wide receiver twos in elite offenses attached to elite quarterbacks attached to elite wide receiver ones. He could easily be arbitrage on two guys we already talked about in terms of T Higgins and Mike Williams. Uh, yeah. Now, the only problem that I run into with Gabe Davis, even being on the pro Gabe Davis side is somehow every draft I'm in, someone likes him more than I do. Yep. Uh, that always that's that's been the consistent problem that I've run into. I want to draft Gabe, Gabe Davis, but someone always wants to draft him more than I do. Uh, so <laughs> uh, that's kind of where I where I fall. Uh, just haven't been able to really reach for him and get him. Uh, he's another one of these guys we know where his limitations lie, but I think it's okay. Like he's not a guy that's going to consistently like win and get open. If you go back to the Jets game at the end of last year, I think it was pretty glaring. I think it was a game he had like nine or so yeah. targets, just couldn't get open at all the entire game. I, I don't think he had that. I think he had like fifteen or sixteen <laughs> targets in the game. It was he, he wasn't catching anything. I mean, so he, I remember he, I had him, yeah, <laughs> I had him. In, I had him in DFS that week, and he was getting targeted left and right, but just like was not catching literally anything. Yeah, so he's going to be a guy that you're going to really set. He's probably one yeah. of these guys when we look at like the as he builds a larger sample of playing, ends up like the Mike Williamses of the world, where you're like, yeah, when this guy didn't score a touchdown, like the floor was a lot lower than some of his peers. But yeah. again, he plays. You get that that sweet attachment to the Bills and Josh Allen. I also think yeah. that's why his ADP is high right now compared to where it might be in August, is because you know people are so stack centric, and yeah. when you get Josh Allen. And if you didn't get Stefan Diggs, obviously, like you're going to probably force Gabe Davis a little bit more. You're probably going to force Dawson Knox a little bit more. Uh, and then you kind of have like the uh, ambiguity tier of like, do we get Jamison Crowder, Isaiah McKenzie, or James Cook competing for targets? But I think that Josh Allen's ADP being where it is and us being in best ball season has definitely hurt Gabe Davis's ADP in these sharper drafts where people inherently want to stack Josh Allen with his receivers so uh if you look at like fantasy pros i think some adp at some other sites gabe davis is a lot lower and i think it'll i'll end up getting gabe davis more as the summer moves on and i move out of best ball and into some of these you know general public leagues a little bit more but right now definitely someone always likes him more than i do and i am on the pro side of the camp because i care about more what his upside is uh in terms and then compared to his downside because like say he could be like mike williams light for sure yeah, definitely. I think that's none to what Mike Williams. So Mike Williams is T Higgins light, and then Gabe Davis is, is Mike Williams light. It's just the steps of arbitrage, man. What can we yeah, buy? What can arbitrage. we buy as we move on? I wonder. <laughs> I wonder who Gabe. I wonder who Gabe Davis light is is going to be. But another play that's also like that, similar to what you talked about of like the mold of like the guy that's not going to win a lot, doesn't get a high target share, but is playing with an elite quarterback. You know that. I also find myself in these best ball drafts that someone else always likes them a little bit more than I do. And that's Alan Lazard. Like Alan Lazard is also someone that's very similar because like you see the like the stats where it's like, oh well, Alan Lazard was sixth in passer rating when you know targeted by Aaron Rodgers. And in the four game sample size that he's had, you know, without Devontae Adams, he's averaged 14.8 fantasy points per game without Adams compared to 9.2 fantasy points per game with it. But on the other side of that, like his target share the last three years has been 13.7, 15.3%, and 11.9% target share. That's not really that exciting. 
and you know he doesn't you know get open you know at the same rate as some of these other guys but people are like oh you know he's got the connection with Rodgers he's like the like the longest tenured receiver right now with with all of that so he's another one of those guys that's a little bit confusing and I feel like I tend to avoid some of these big touchdown guys that don't separate well but do you think that there's some big upside with Alan Lazard or do you think that people are you know, a little too excited about the fact that it's just a wide receiver one with Aaron Rodgers. Well, I think the Packers conversation is is more interesting to me first before we get into the specific players yeah. because we have this seven-game sample of Devontae Adams that people keep using for not only Lazard but Aaron Jones and, you know, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, but there is a big difference between having to calibrate in season for a week or two because these are seven games sprinkled across, you know, three seasons with Mike LaFleur there. Matt LaFleur. Uh, but when you're going in inherently trading Devontae Adams, you are building a different offense than what you're yep. going to be forced to run in terms of having to say your depth chart is manipulated. Well, what do we need to do to win this game? Especially when you go back to last year when they play the Arizona Cardinals and Lazard's not in that game. Uh, they basically have Aaron Jones playing wide receiver because Juwan Winfrey is like their number one wide receiver. Um I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater in terms of the Devontae Adams splits, but you're removing a guy that commanded 30% of the team targets, is targeted on 30% of his routes, and not for like a one or two game stretch, but for an entire season heading in. This is going to be an offense that's going to run differently as passing game than it did. So a lot of those splits, I think, are tough for me to like latch onto and really like use as a crutch. And people do this more with Aaron Jones than they do Alan Lazard for sure. Uh, but this is an offense that's going to be different. It just is. And we talked about this with the Bucks a little bit. It's it's a lot of people want to glom on to these, like, this is how the offense is run, so this is what it will. It's not going to be that way. And, yep. you know, especially when you talk about, like, they're going to play Randall Cobb. You add Christian Watson. Does he just become, like, a Marcus Valdez-Scantling player where he's running the top off of the defense? You know, you add the ghost of Sammy Watkins, you know, out here. Is this a team that also, like, still threatens to add one of these veterans when we get into training camp? And the, the door's still open. We've got a ton of guys – that are proven like functional football players that might not have fantasy football upside, but like for sure have like real life value to teams that are still not signed yet. Um, and when do they sign during the season? Uh, so, I mean, all these like things are going to play into a team like the Packers. Now Lazard, I've really no pushback on his ADP or getting cheap attachment to a guy like Aaron Rodgers that has double digit touchdown upside. I think yeah. you, you do have proven touchdown assets. It's a guy that had eight touchdowns last year. He's a big body. You go back to Iowa state. I mean, you know, he was, a, he was a guy that would win in the red zone. Uh, the Packers don't have a lot of those guys on the roster right now. It's basically him and big Bob Tunyon, who's also coming off of an ACL injury. Uh, so, I mean, I do respect the touchdown upside and ADP of Alan Lazard. You do question that he has a large sample of the NF- in the NFL to this point and really hasn't commanded targets on his own. Uh, he's been more of a guy they've had to scheme open. And I think that's where he wins. You know, if you look at where he's won in the NFL, it's the inside of 10 yards, right? And, and that, that kind of lends itself to winning in the red zone. Uh, and that is what gives him that kind of touchdown upside. So I really don't have any pushback on his ADP. Uh, I don't really don't have... I'm not like a, a doubter either of him. I just think that, you know, when you look at the Packers from a top-down view, this is not going to be the seven games that this team has missed Devontae Adams. They averaged 32 points per game, and this player was accrued yeah. X amount of fantasy points. I, I really think people need to get away from that and that type of logic when looking at the Packers uh, in general and think about, like, how the pieces fit together here. It's going to be a different offense. Definitely. I completely agree. Well, one other question before we get into the flag plant, which would be the final final question of the day. If you could give us a few names real quick. I know you mentioned, you know, Monroe St. Brown, Elijah Moore, Kadarius Tony, but we talked about a lot of guys today. But 
and if, and if they are the guys that we talked about on this list, please say them. But could you give us like you know throughout the drafts from you know your like you know wide receiver twelve to forty or something like that? Could you give us like an, a five or six names of just some targets of guys that you're that you're really looking to draft in like you know season long league formats for this coming year? Uh, we talk about just year two wide receivers. I want to hammer those guys, okay. and you can include like Bateman in that. But you know, Bateman, okay. De- Devontae Smith, uh, Amon Ra, to, like Elijah Moore, Tony, like those are guys. Just those are have been statistically sound investors. Doesn't mean every player is going to hit. That's why we you know grab those guys in bulk. Uh, you know, I'm trying to think like some guys like maybe I'm. Pro- oh, I'll tell you right now. I think th- this is really gross to say, but I think one of the most underrated offenses right now is uh, Washington. Okay. Uh, I think almost everybody is universally underpriced in that offense. I mean, their schedule's great. They have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. We don't like Carson Wentz, but he's a clear improvement on Taylor Heineke. Uh, Taylor Mc- Terry McLaurin's ADP seems absolutely bonkers to me. The last week, Terry McLaurin's ADP is lower than Jerry Judy's. Like, what the hell are we doing? It's lower yeah. than Cortland Sutton's. Like, what, what are we doing here? Like, Terry McLaurin's a proven, like, really good football player. And it bears out in, like, a lot of metrics. And the fact that you can get him like almost as a wide receiver three, like feels absolutely insane to me right now. Uh, that's a team, especially when you think about where their defense was two years ago uh, and given their schedule this year, like this is a team that definitely can pull off a lot more wins than people are, like probably are counting on them too. Uh, and also like the Eagles are the hot thing in that division. Like everyone kind of likes the Eagles. Uh, and I have no really pushback. I like, I like the Eagles a lot too, but I think Washington as a whole is undervalued. Uh, all the players I think Antonio Gibson's fallen to a point where he's undervalued. JD McKissick's always one of those like kind of glue guys. Uh, Jahan Dotson it was been one of the most undervalued players in rookie drafts to this point. Curtis Samuel, the last time Curtis Samuel played in full, he led all wide receivers in touches. Uh, he's undervalued. This is a team that doesn't really have a tight end because Logan Thomas is coming off ACL and MCL surgery, unless you are John Bates truthers. Uh, sorry if you are. Uh, but so this is a team that's going to play three wide receivers too. Um, yeah. I and mean, if you like Brian Robinson as a like cheap handcuff, like this is a team I think is universally kind of undervalued, uh, as well. I think the Patriots are undervalued as well, too. I know it sounds gross to say, too, but you guys, the Patriots were second in the NFL in scoring rate per drive last year. And this is a team that just had bad touchdown luck. Like, this is a team that's going to score more touchdowns. And right now they have one top 100 player in ADP, and it's Damian Harris. Uh, I get there's some ambiguity here, and it's tougher to say, like, well, who's going to, you know, thrive between Devontae Parker, Jacoby Myers, you know, does Tyquan Thornton get involved, Kendrick Bourne, and Hunter Henry. But all those guys probably win. We look at when the dust settles. So we're going to have a couple of hits there as well. Um, as well. So I know that those are two gross offenses, and no one's excited to draft Washington or New England Patriots players, but I definitely believe all those players are undervalued on both those teams. I like that. No, those are those are really great names. I like that. And the year two wide receivers. That's that's definitely the big yeah. takeaway. Oh yeah, grab right. those year two wide receivers, I baby. I cannot. I cannot wait to do it. Well, <laughs> the final question I have for you today, my favorite question to ask on the entire podcast is, what is your 2022 flag plant, Rich? Your boldest prediction that you believe it doesn't have to be wide receivers. I know it's the topic. It could be literally anything that you are feeling passionate about on this Tuesday afternoon. Yeah, I suck at things like this because I'm just so overly pragmatic. It's one of the things people always push back onto me is that I don't yeah. take enough like bolder calls and that I'm more, you know, like kind of like JJ gets a lot of the same shit and he's a dude sure. that like obviously is a like, way huger pull than I do. Uh, I'll say a couple things. Like maybe I'll say Jalen Hurts outscores Patrick Mahomes. I don't know how hot that is. I like that. Uh, I like 
Justin Herbert as the QB one, which maybe helps you as your Mike Williams uh, trutherism. Uh, and and Saquon, man, Saquon's gonna be back this year. 100%, I know that I, I know a lot of people. A lot of people are finally getting there with Saquon. But dude, Saquon, Saquon is like we're at like a point where like people question how good Saquon is as a football player, and that feels like borderline insane to me. Uh, like Saquon's good at the game of football. And I think he'll remind the people a lot of that this year. hundred percent. I actually think I'm like the, like, I am going to have to adjust my rankings a little bit because I'm getting a little carried away. Um, Saquon's going to outscore Aaron Jones. Well, no, like, like, I don't know. Like, I'm I'm saying like among consensus experts on fantasy pros, like, I think I'm like one of the two or three highest people out of all like hundred people right now that like on Saquon, like, I think I have him as like my RB six right now. He was going in the third round, like everywhere, yeah, and now he's now he's picked up some momentum, and he's getting that two-three turn. Everything is pointing to him breaking out. I mean, just okay, the talent of the player for one, the fact that the first you know few games coming off the ACL, he was consistently ramping up and playing really well until he stepped on someone's foot in the Cowboys games. We've seen year after year that players that have ankle sprains tend to not you know do so well you know as the season goes on, and that you know hurts them. But beyond that is the fact that, like, they don't have clowns coaching this team. Like, Brian Dable is a good NFL coach. And the Bills, as bad as their running backs were with Devin Singletary and Zach Moss, like, that team was sixth in the NFL in rushing yards last year. Like, I don't think it's going to be that this year. But, you know, Saquon has consistently been a guy that's, you know, on pace for 50 catches every season of his career that he's played. He's going to get a lot of involvement in the pass game. This offensive line is one of the most improved, if not the most improved offensive line probably in the entire league. So I think this team is being very, very overlooked, you know, in terms of Saquon specifically and Kadarius Tony. Kadarius Tony, you know, I really hope he gets it together and does great this season. But I agree with you. Saquon is going to be very good. But Rich, <laughs> you are also going to be very good as long as you keep doing this. It was such a pleasure to have you on the show today. You were beyond fantastic. And you lived up to everything, all my wildest dreams and expectations. But before we go, I want to give you a chance to tell the listeners what you're working on. You got a lot of great articles coming out. You got a, got a lot of good running back facts that I've been reading as well in some of those articles. So please tell the people where they can find you, what you're working on, and anything else that you want to say to the people. Yeah, I mean, you can find all my work at sharpfootballanalysis.com. There's no paywall on anything I've done to this point in the offseason, and I've already done about uh, you know, 70, you know, different articles to this point. So you can go check out a bunch of that stuff. I'm in the middle of doing like a team regression series because at this point of the year, I always love to like, kind of like speak in like a cadence. So I did like a bunch of league wide trend and positional usage stuff. Now I'm doing team regression stuff and then we'll get more player specific uh, stuff as we hit like draft guide season uh, for the final month. So I kind of like, like to have that rhythm go on. So you can catch in the middle of that, all that stuff's at sharpfullanalysis.com. Uh, you know, I hope everyone's enjoying their summer. We have about another four weeks uh, until training camps open. And once that happens, I mean, it's basically football season. Uh, yeah. So hopefully everyone gets their vacations in and enjoys this last bit of time, you know, with their families. <laughs> it only gets crazier after this, but I could not be more excited on it. And Richard couldn't be more excited to have you on the show today. You're a phenomenal guest. But thank you so much for coming on. And thank you to the listeners for sticking with us and talking football with us and listening in today. It's been such a great conversation talking about wide receivers, my favorite position to break down. Rich, you were amazing to break it down with. But to the listeners, thank you so much always for supporting and making this dream of mine a reality and that you were listening to us talk about football on Tuesday afternoon. doesn't get any better than that. But as always, please leave a review. You guys already know what to do. I hope you all have a great rest of your day. <laughs>